Do your own research. If you look at investing or financial material online, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Everyone likes to tell you to do your own research, but no one likes to discuss actually how to do research. And so today we're going to touch on that topic. But before we do, just a quick disclaimer. This material is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Please be sure to consult with a financial professional before making any investment decisions. This material is not intended to be construed as investment advice. Talking about research. When I put together a portfolio or an investing strategy, the number one concept for me is that it is data driven. I don't like to make decisions based upon um, feelings, sentiment, that type of stuff is going to get me into trouble because it's not based in fact, okay? Um, I want to look at the data. Ideally, I want to run it through a systematic um, processing system, for lack of a better word, that either I put together or that I validated and tested that I found. But the point is, I want to use a data-driven process. I want to use known inputs, go through a known process, and come to some type of conclusion that I can then repeat over time and I can follow that trend. I can see is this numerical output for these given inputs going up or down and that can help me make decisions on many different levels on the security level, on the risk management level, and on the strategy level. And So for me when I'm talking about doing research from my approach that consists of getting numbers, hard data, and doing some analysis. But that isn't everything. Uh, if you looked at my video on financial portfolio construction and management, you'll know that there's also a qualitative process to complement the quantitative, but the quantitative comes first. So if you're like me and you're using a data-driven process, it's important to keep in mind the frequency of your data. It wouldn't be very helpful to use monthly data to make daily or weekly decisions. Um, as a rule for myself, I make sure not to make a decision at a frequency that's higher than my data. So if I have monthly data, I'm going to stick with making a decision every month and that's it. If I'm making a decision in between the month, that's only as a result of some exceptional circumstance. Um, and I need to be very honest with myself about what I consider to be an exceptional circumstance because that's a deviation from the system that I've built for myself. Um, going along with the frequency of your data, uh, you also need to consider either the, you know, the signal to noise ratio, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, it's not usually phrased in that way, but how much chop is there? How much is there up and down for a given amount of actual market movement? Uh, and if you do find that there's a lot of chop in your data, there's a lot of noise in your data, um, one thing that I found helpful is to apply an averaging. So I'm going to take the last two data points and average them together. That's going to tend to neutralize out those oscillations. Now that's going to come at the expense of being a little less sensitive to rapid changes. And so depending on you and your approach, uh, it could make sense to not normalize or it could make sense to not average out those oscillations. Just depends on what you're trying to get out of your system. But I mentioned that for myself because it greatly improved the performance of some of my models. Now that you've decided how to process your input data, whether you want to average a couple data points together or not, the next thing to consider is back tests. How do I know that this system is actually going to generate a return for me? That's very common in the financial world for someone to build a model and test it with historical data. And sometimes if they see that there is a deficiency in their model, uh, they'll go back and they'll iterate and they'll improve and they'll test against the data set again. 
And this process will repeat until you have the exact perfect system to make money from that sequence of data. And the downfall to that idea is, what if the data set's different? So you have to keep in mind uh, when you're building your model that you don't overfit your model to your data. Your model needs to be robust enough to handle many different kinds of markets, bull markets, bear markets, trending, uh, just horizontal sideways. You have a lot of chop. Maybe you have, um, you know, again, the opposite of chop. You'd have a nice trending market two, three, four, five days in a row of one direction before things shift. Um, it's important to keep those things in mind to allow for a, a model that is as robust as possible while still accomplishing the goal. The next thing to consider when building a financial model is backtesting. Now that you have a way to process your input data, it's important to run historical data through it in order to see if it's actually effective. What will commonly happen is you'll run your data through and you'll find perhaps a deficiency. A certain type of market activity will give it some trouble and it's normal to want to uh, correct that to improve the performance as much as possible. It's just as important to make sure that you don't overcorrect. What can sometimes happen with backtesting is a person can go back, adjust their model, and adjust their model so that it responds in the exact perfect manner for the specific input data set which is being backtested. And at the end, you'll have potentially the, the best you know, result that the model can produce, but it's not a robust model. So you've trained your model to perform against one data sequence. But the future could hold many different markets, many different data sequences. You could have trending markets, choppy markets, bulls, bears. Really, the market could do anything in the future. And it's important that your model is as robust as possible while still achieving the objectives for which it's built. The last piece of the puzzle is input data. Where do you get your input data to run your model? These days, most brokerages, if not all brokerage platforms or services, will have data that you can use, uh, look at to compare different securities. Uh, there's also very common websites that people will go to to look for data as well. Um, I'm going to mention a couple. These aren't endorsements. These are just sites that I'm aware of. Uh, so Zax.com, uh, Investing.com, Yahoo Finance. These are some of the ones that I see coming up most often. Um, wherever you go to look for your data, it's important that you trust that it's accurate. Um, because the worst thing is to train your model on input data that doesn't make sense or input data that isn't accurate to reality, uh, and then to go out and run your model and make decisions based upon that information which isn't correct. Another thing to keep in mind is all these different data sources may present differently or in some cases may you know may not present certain pieces of information such as key ratios uh, like price to book um, pretty much everyone's going to have price to earnings um, but it just depends on the platform so be aware of the fact that uh, you might not see certain information depending on the place you're looking and so uh, when you're just starting out building a system it can be really helpful to see from a few different locations uh, what information is available to work with um, if you're looking to build a model that's based upon some publicly available data, uh, another fantastic resource is actually it's the Fed. Um, the St. Louis Fed operates a website called FRED, that's F-R-E-D, and there you can find a really, really large quantity 
of big picture economic data. It measures pretty much every facet that you can think of of the economy, from employment, income, personal credit, debt, um, manufacturing indices, anything you could want on a big picture, really it's there. And in my opinion, the biggest downside of the data from Fred is that it's monthly data. So depending on the system you're building, it might not be very helpful for you. Um, but if that time scale is something that's suitable, um, it could be a good place. Other things that you can use uh, potentially in a model, uh, volatility index is a common uh, item. It's a pretty, pretty common item for, for someone to measure the, you know, call it the fear index. Um, it's measuring the volatility. In the upcoming month, how much uh, movement do we expect to see in the market? Volatility is not necessarily only a bad thing, even though in many cases it's perceived to be that way. Uh, volatility could be an upward movement too. So keep that in mind. Um, it's of course also important to be aware of uh, the level of major indices such as the S&P 500, Dow Jones, NASDAQ, maybe also the Russell 1000 or the Russell 2000. Um, each of those indices is measuring something different and mapping how they change over time in relation to each other uh, could produce some interesting uh, information for you to make decisions on. And the last thing I'll mention in terms of data sources are sector ETFs. So instead of going from overall index to index, you can also look at different sectors of the economy. So you can look at, for example, healthcare or energy, utilities, and again, comparing relative performance, um, you might be able to identify advantages in certain sectors over others, certain indices over others, or, or just at least to identify trends in any case. So I hope that information was helpful to you when considering how to put together a financial model. Um, again, I'm Anthony Nagel with Lowercase Capital. If you'd like to discuss this topic with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is in the description box, or you can also find it by going to our website, which is www.lowercasecapital.biz. Thank you.